0: Welcome everybody to another one of my podcasts, thank you very much for tuning in and I am delighted to say I have the uh, wonderful uh, Mary Henderson all the way from uh, Australia on today. Mary, uh, good evening I think, your end? Yeah, good evening Alex, it is good evening, you're right. And uh, thank you so much for um, uh, giving me some of your time and actually more importantly my listeners to hear your um, uh, your story. So let's start with that, Who who are you, what, why, when, where, what's your journey to... To us talking today I guess
1: Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, I always start uh, when people ask me that question, Alex. I always have a little bit of a, a think, especially when I'm with the CEO, and I always say, "Let me just think where at what part of my story I actually want to start from." <laughs> <Because> <laughs> there are so many chapters, but um, I live in Australia. I um, I have a very uh, I have a corporate background in uh, the IT sector, uh, specifically uh, in sales, and uh, in YouTube. 2000 I um, hit the height of my career in the tech industry it was just the most amazing time of my life Um, but I also came face to face with personal branding and um, for me that was um, uh, it was a really big aha moment and I think also Alex it was the impetus to where I'm, I'm at today it was it made me see the importance of uh positioning yourself as a specialist um, and what that and what it could do for your career and for me it did future-proof my career I then was headhunted by an American company um, and I had a massive like a significant sales team I had over 30 people I was director of sales for APAC uh, for an American company called Belkin. And um, I turned my entire sales team into personal brands. I mean, I really understood the notion of it. Um, I wasn't interested in job descriptions. I had no interest in that at all. I knew back then the limitations of a job description, but I knew the expansion of a personal brand because it allowed a human being to come to a working environment and be unapologetically themselves. So they were all given permission to show up in their natural state. And I then matched that personality and their passions with the actual customer portfolio and we grew that business from four million to 54 million in 48 months not one person left the company in that 48 months in my sales team except two that i had to unfortunately let go of Mm um you know just for misconduct but 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 fast forward, you know, from there, I then started my own software development company. Um, I was immersed in the digital space uh, since 2005. I still am in the space. Um, And then in 2012, I merged my software development company with a creative agency. And I took 12 months off, Alex, because I realized when I had my software development company that that was not what I was meant to be doing. I, there were aspects of it that I really loved. Um, I, you know, found a niche in the academic sector, which was always served, and built some really cool uh, web-based applications but it wasn 't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life, and I think that it 's important to confront those demons when they start playing havoc in your life, which is exactly what it was happening with me so I took twelve months off I had my second child, and um, I uh, just decided that this is just not where I wanted this is not where I wanted to be. I had three amazing mentors that literally held my hand for twelve months. Because I was curious uh, to ask myself, who am I? Like, as a human, physiologically, what am I? And I was really, I was beyond self-help. But the reason why I'm sharing that story is because in that 12-month period, through that inner journey that I had experienced and was very fortunate enough to uh, experience, I started to uh, see my one of my mentors asked me to basically write, just freehand write everything that I could possibly remember from the age of zero to twenty one, and then I and then from twenty one to thirty. So I basically had this like story full of chapters, and I started to see a pattern emerging. And what I found was that. At the points in my life that I remembered where I was happy, certain things were playing out. And when I was incredibly frustrated or sad or angry or whatever, there were other things that were playing out. And over and above all of that, I just realised that when I was happy, there were certain traits, there were certain things that Mary was doing that were natural to her that really made me show up as the best version of myself. And this, for me, was the start of understanding that personal branding was not about being famous. Personal branding was about showing up in your natural state. And that's where I developed my uh, personal branding algorithm and then realized in that 12 month period, hang on a minute, I love three things in my life. Personal branding, I get what that means from a complete, with different eyes. I understand how to build digital assets. And I understand sales. Now, if I merge those three things together, can I solve a complex problem? And which is what I do today. I now commercialize personal brands and I help um, uh, people that are transitioning out of corporate, predominantly uh, senior leaders who are going into coaching and consulting. And I help them commercialize their personal brands into uh, business uh, solutions. And that's where I'm at right now.
0: Wow! <laughs> how, yeah. <laughs> how, how, how does one how does one follow um, follow that? Uh, there's a lot that I want to pick up on um, what you just shared with with me and the audience. So thank you, especially your, your time at Belkin, because that was early days in terms of, kind yeah. of LinkedIn LinkedIn and personal branding as as even a concept back uh, back then. But if we just mm-hmm. kind of take a step further back, because you know personal brand is now pushed everywhere online that you see, talking about personal brand, this and that, doesn't matter what the social media platform uh, is. It's, I kind of guess it's anywhere that you, you digitally reside. Um, but what, what, is, what is your, based on your experience and what you do now and the people that you work with and you help, what is a personal brand in its simplest form?
1: Uh, in its most simplest form, Alex, it's somebody who has an expertise and wants to position themselves as the go-to person uh, in their industry or their niche, or their niche because they are a specialist in specifically one area that they know for sure. Mm-hmm. It's not a little bit of everything. It's one, it's they they have a solution to one complex problem that they know that they can solve because they can support it with tried and tested uh, uh, methodology, with a tried and tested methodology or a process or a system that they've developed. Mm -hmm. They can Mm -hmm. solve a problem and they know that they can solve a problem because they understand just that little box, that one area that they know inside out. And based on that, you know, when you have a content strategy that's over the that's an, that overlays that, that's when personal branding starts to, you know, it, 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 it it's it, it, that's when you can position yourself as uh, an authority in that area that you know for sure. But that, you know, there are certain um, moving parts, I guess, that one needs to implement in order for that person to be known as the authority. It doesn't just happen. But in its rawest, basic, most basic description, it really is about somebody who can support the problem that they can solve with a system or a methodology.
0: So could one say that it's kind of subject matter expert version 1.5, 2.0 from Absolutely. Yeah,
1: okay. Absolutely. And, it's, and, and what it isn't is, you know, it's not, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. So many people talk about personal branding and it's become so cliche, unfortunately, but it is not how many followers you have. It is not about just showing up on LinkedIn and being authentic and just sharing some story, random story about your dog because someone challenged you to be authentic. <laughs> I mean, really, it's not that it's not about vanity metrics and it's not about being an influencer on Instagram where you've got a million followers and the people that are following you have no followers. I mean, it's not that that's just an illusion that people have painted and coming from the standpoint of such limited knowledge of actually what personal branding is from a professional standpoint. And you and I are talking about this from a professional standpoint.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I think you know you, you kind of beat me to the punch there on Instagram. I think Instagram has kind of completely bastardized what a personal brand is. It's not this fifteen minutes of fame. It's not this you know the, the, even this not even this perfect life that you you see and we see. Obviously, the the, the pushback on influencer marketing if that's a thing and how that's now um, not something that it was. But we we digress. Yeah. I I, so I wanted to roll back to your time at Belkin. And, mm-hmm. you know, giving the, the sales team, and this is back in a time, you know, I let people look at your profile, but we're talking, you know, 20 years ago now, um, when, you know, sales are sales, right? You, you turn up to work, you make your number, you, you, you go home and just point you at that. Uh, that's what you need to go, go and do it. So how did you go about convincing or affecting that change that this is what you see the modern salesperson back then, which I'd argue is actually today as well to do that. Not, not only internally within Belkin to get management, to buy into your vision, but then to get the salespeople to buy into your vision.
1: That, that is an awesome question. And now, you know, when my MD in Australia first met me, um, I was, you know, like an alpha female, you know, and I was in your face and he was not that. Um, so he was, uh, well, on one hand, he didn't get it. But on the other hand, um, he actually did with, you know, I mean, I've got to, you know, give, give the guy, you know, uh, credit because he actually did allow me to pursue the the vision, okay? So I had no limitation there whatsoever. Um, but what I had to do was also make the management team actually see the power in what I was about to do and Mm -hmm. and embark on because it wasn't a cookie cutter sales type of a model. What my model was all about was you can't build a sales team and you can't build an extraordinary sales team that's made up of, people that want to actually be here if you don't allow them to actually be themselves mm-hmm. so that so that was the first thing and they 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 understood that conceptually they understood that how it was going to be executed was a different thing but what i but my approach to sales even back then alex and nothing's changed today was about building relationships at a channel level, a channel partner level. That was the go-to strategy immediately because it took out the notion of, oh, you've now got to f- do the cold calling and find 42, you know, customers per week so we mm-hmm. can make our figures. So th- the approach was very different to, to what they were used to before I came on board. And when you're building uh, channel partner relationships, it's very, very different to building a relationship with, you know, or trying to build a relationship with 40 or 50 cold calls per week. It's a mm-hmm. different, it's a different approach altogether. Yeah. But there was one thing that I did and I still do this today. And I believe in the power of collaboration. So it was not a me and them. It was a us. The whole conversation around everything that we did was about us. How can I help you? What can we do together? Who understands how to do this? Better than you. So let's let's all join together and let's help one another win this proposal or win this client. So it was really a big collaborative uh, uh, effort. Even my MD, my MD was a part of that collaboration. Mm-hmm. So he, not even he was. Oh, look, I'm here and you're there. It was really a big big uh, uh, us type of um, a scenario, and that's why it worked really really well. Um, and the other thing is. Um, I gave my team full permission to be subject matter experts. I wanted them to be seen and heard at keynotes or luncheons or networking events. I pushed them into that direction. I thought that was a very, very important move because I was also at the same time wanting them to future-proof their career. Mm -hmm. You know, that's my Mm -hmm. job. That's what great leaders do. They're there to future-proof the the career of their team members because I'm not going to be there forever and neither are they. Um, And it's funny because I actually saw one of my... um, Employees, back then, my, one of my team members, about two years ago, um, at my son um, is at a soccer academy, and so was his son at the same soccer academy. And he just happened to, you know, we just happened to cross paths, and um, and he even said, "I just can't believe that what what you taught me back then, I still use today." And that's the power of. It's not even about leadership, Alex. It really is about understanding. Who you are at your core and feeling comfortable in your own skin. And I think that that's me, that describes me to a T.
0: Which is interesting because I was at an event yesterday, <clears throat> we were talking about this for we Young, came you know, live as it were, um, at the Association of Professional Sales, and we had a lady, Nicole, um, Nicole Soames, uh, talking about emotional intelligence and EQ versus IQ. And again, and how that can fit in sales. And part of that very much was you know, know thyself and understand yourself and allow yourself to yep. be yourself as it's which is difficult for people right it's really really hard and it is. Y- you and i well know that um you know although we operate in different spaces that when you're working with with teams of people um be it salespeople, lawyers accountants leadership doesn't matter getting somebody to actually sit down and do what you did i guess over your kind of your 12 your month break is have a bit of inward reflection and ask some mm-hmm. of those questions is really really difficult for people to um to tackle
1: it is and and it's difficult alex because it's th- because most people are on the ham- are on the hamster wheel and it's it's keeping up with the joneses no one will get off the hamster wheel if there's a loss of material things okay we're all, t- we're all attached to these material things but the, here's the thing about that is that when you can detach and actually understand who you are at your core and in your natural state that changes the entire game. Because when you, can, when, when you understand that, then you can ask yourself a very simple question. Am I in the right job? Am I in the right relationship? Am I pursuing um, what I really love in this type of an environment? Or am I so far away from it that it's not funny? You can ask those big questions. And the bigger the questions, the closer you move to the person you're always meant to be. It makes life so much easier and you actually reap incredible uh, rewards, not just financially, but just personally. Mm -hmm. The people that are drawn to you are completely different to the people that you had in your life versus the people that are wanting to then uh, be a part of your life. And I just think that it is a luxury taking that time off because it means loss of income. But, You know, I I always make a joke and I always say to people, I just wish that there was a law that actually stated at the age of 40, if you haven't taken off one year for self-reflection, then, you know, you're you're in deep shit. So I wish that that was just a, a given, you know, but it's not.
0: but it's interesting if you look at it just in the kind of the the narrative around mental health you know and all this kind of thing and the pressure of being you know on 24 7 and the the impact that this is now um you know now all all happening and my career break um was was forced upon me some in some respects and actually the best thing that could happen was being made redundant because that made me take a step back and actually evaluate my life and see what I was going to do. And that has led me on the journey that I'm now um, you know, now on with, you know, the likes of Tim and Adam as well. But it also has given me the freedom to you know, cross paths and meet people like you. And that's, that's the, the beauty of this, yes. is that when you are kind of given that freedom uh, to, to do that, the the, the the opportunity it presents is absolutely massive. And I believe what we are now seeing is that, you know, industry is now seeing this. If you let people be people, yes, of course, you know, you've got to deliver profitability. You've got to deliver your number. You can't lose focus of what we're trying to achieve. But if you've got a happy workforce who feels happy to come to work and can be, them, um, and be themselves, I don't care whether it's the janitor all the way through to the CEO, and we'll come through mm-hmm. to that in a minute, um, you're going to have a much better uh, yeah, a much better overall output. And I, I do find it funny when, you know, working with sales directors and we talk through this and they kind of say to to, to me or my colleagues, yeah, but I don't want you to create rock stars in my, my sales teams. <laughs> what happens if they leave? I'm like, well... <laughs> that's got nothing to yeah, do with awesome. the brand <laughs> on LinkedIn or anything like that. If they want to leave, that's the conversation with HR because something is not they're not that's getting right. something from, you know, you as an employer. That's got nothing to do with them being great on, you know, social or having a brand out there and being invited to talk to, you know, talk at events or go to keynotes, etc. And it's it's that kind of it's the short termism, I guess, that sales are to see because they're thinking, Christ, if they go, I don't hit my number, that impacts da da da.
1: And and the thing is, Alex, you just hit a very important point, and that is that you know, we are seeing more and more senior executives becoming redundant. That's a fact. That's a reality. That's happening right in this moment. What you know, I've met so many uh, C suites that have been made redundant, that have lost their three, four, five hundred thousand dollar job, and it's not easy to replace that job title and salary anymore. It's just not. Not only is it not uh, easy, it uh, that there, there so many large Organizations are becoming a very flat structure, so they're Mm -hmm. not interested in that top heavy anymore. It's happening all around us. So, typically, when somebody comes to me at that point when they're redundant, I say to them, You've come to me 12 months too late. Yeah, I could have helped you position yourself as the go to person, the specialist in your industry, so that when you were made redundant, you at least had three or four offers in your inbox the very next day.
0: Yeah, you know, it's it's it, it's, it's a you know it's, it's a very valid point, and I I was kind of very fortunate that although you know the, the, I ended up in the situation I was in, it was actually through the vision of the board at my previous company that allowed me to start the journey on of social selling, if you will, which is part of this, which then at least got me into this narrative and this conversation. So I kind of had yeah. a fighting chance as to right now, what do I do? I at least have the, the basics in. Um, uh, in place. So before we kind of kick on to, to leadership, because I do want to, I do want to talk about that. If there are uh, sales directors uh, listening to uh, to this or even, you know, sales reps, I don't really care. What advice would you give to the sales director to kind of think differently about this? And what advice would you give to a sales rep who wants to take this concept to their sales director?
1: I think that the first thing that I would say is be very clear on an area that you. Uh, that you know for sure, or that you're passionate about. So mm-hmm. let's look at a tech company. In a tech company, there'll be three or four different product categories. Let's just say that there's networking, like in uh, in Belkin, there's networking and there's mm-hmm. peripherals. You know, if you're uh, if you are passionate about networking, make that your lane. Just absolutely eat, breathe, and sleep uh, sleep and just focus on that product category mm-hmm. and know everything about it inside out know everything about the industry uh industry standards compliance everything and anything that you need to know about that lane become the uh, the the expert in that domain so that the world around you also believes that you're an expert in that lane the second thing is that you as a salesperson linkedin should become your second best friend Mm -hmm. it should be utilized every single day except weekends or at least at a minimum of three times a week where then you're supporting that lane that you're passionate about, let's say it's networking, and your content support that passion so that now the outside world are now starting to recognize you as the expert in say networking you're not belittling the organization you're working for you're actually bringing that organization to light you're expanding the profile of that corporation because naturally you'll be hashtagging the organization you'll be hashtagging your product range you know you want to embrace the organization that you work for but you also want to be position position yourself as the networking guru. Now, having that conversation with your senior manager is not about what's in it for me. I want to be a rock star and you know, which is what a lot of guys do on LinkedIn, by the way, and they lose their job. Yeah. What we're saying here is no, be smart. You have a conversation with your management team and you say, I really am passionate about networking. I want to own the space. I want to know everything about it. I want to do all of my due diligence and I want to support it by creating um, how-to videos, uh, educational videos about our product range. Okay, so the storytelling now incorporates the products and services and customer uh, stories. And that, now that, that individual has got so much content to share on LinkedIn and is 100% supporting uh, the company that they work for. So now it's no longer a what's in it for me, but it's absolutely a what's in it for us. That would be my advice.
0: Awesome. Perfect. Now, let's kind of get to the, 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 the other end of the, the, the spectrum in terms of leadership, so the, the, the C-suite. And um, I, I do a lot of work in the professional service space, so accountants and lawyers. And I was with an organization last week where um, I sat for an hour listening to how we're going to do this and we want to change that and we want to do this. And I said, well, that's interesting. Your managing partner, i.e. your CEO, uh, is not on LinkedIn. Oh, yeah, I've spent hours with them. There's no point. Um, you just won't do it. And I went, okay, that's really interesting because you just told me that this is what leadership wants to happen within the firm in terms of change around behavior and blah, blah, blah. Yet this individual is not prepared to make one, let's face it, very small, simple change by just Amazing. getting onto LinkedIn. I'm not even saying they then have to like post regularly but go, I'm not on LinkedIn. I'm now on LinkedIn because I recognize the importance that I am the leader of this uh, this organization. Mm-hmm. So, I should at least start to lead from the front around change, which then led me to write this piece around um, that was done on Bernard Looney, the new mm-hmm. um, um, CEO of BP, who wasn't on LinkedIn, now has gone on LinkedIn, you know, nailing it in terms of how he can, um, how he can uh, drive it. And I know that this is what you also kind of focus on, is helping um, the C-suite bit, C-suite current, C-suite coming out to moving into, you know, consulting-type roles. Yeah. So in the modern world that we are, in the modern world, in the world that we are today, how important, I know this is a leading question, how important is it for the CEO or the C-suite to have a presence online and a personal brand? Or I think you actually, you're now changing the narrative on that, I believe?
1: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I I, I think that the question you're asking is a really important question. It really is. you know in in at that C suite level especially at enterprise level or even mid tier it doesn't matter alex it actually mm-hmm. doesn't matter when you're a ceo you're a ceo it doesn't mean that if you work for mid tier say law firm today that you're not going to be working for the top 2 you know in 5 years time yep. so so the point with with personal branding is exactly is is all about reputation and it and i do call it reputation branding and the reason for that is because i think that the first question a ceo needs to ask themselves is not what type of personal brand am i going to create which Mm -hmm. is the wrong question anyway but rather what reputation do I want to have and what reputation do I want to leave leave on? And when you're asking those type of questions, there's two things that should emerge. The first thing is, what is my actual mission here? What am I trying to achieve? And the second part of reputation branding is, what is the legacy I want to leave? There are two fundamental questions mm-hmm. that any leader should be asking themselves regardless of the size of the organization. Yeah. Now let's take the first bit and that's the mission. Any person that is serious about pursuing their their business their personal brand as a business needs to also support that with a driving mission there has to be a mission behind driving the the purpose of the personal brand otherwise it's just another thing as part of the social media landscape it's just part of the noise mm-hmm. so reputation branding and leg- uh, and and mission is fundamental and the legacy that we want to leave is also fundamental so how do we do that well we have to actually make that decision on what again what type of person do I want to be known for what is my specialization okay I'm a CEO I cannot know everything it's not possible mm-hmm. for any CEO to know everything but what is it that I know really well and let me just focus on that I want to be known for just specifically for that now that CEO's tenure may, may expire in two three five ten years time But the point being is if you stay on that trajectory and you focus on it and build upon it, what happens? You get invited to keynote speaking events. Um, You get invited perhaps to even co-write a book. Um, Mm -hmm. You you get uh, the opportunity to be on lots of podcasts. And most importantly, it's the ability to get your uh, comms team involved in creating a, a content strategy for the CEO that supports the CEO's passion special slash specialization so what happens now that ceo now is known for a specific area that he or she knows for sure gets invited to uh, keynote speaking events suddenly now the industry are referring to john smith as the expert in xyz and that's the, the the and he's he he or she creates an entire narrative around that do you think that in five or 10 years' time, that that individual would have a hard time finding a, a job replacement. Look at Cheryl Sandberg as the perfect example of what I'm talking about. She's an employee of Facebook. She has built an entire brand around her name and her specialisation. Okay, she's not a COO. She actually makes media companies profitable. That's her specialisation mm-hmm. and she owns that. And Facebook do a great job of promoting that because they know that there are another ten companies out there that would hire uh, Sheryl Sandberg in a in, in a in a in a moment's notice. But the point being is that that Sheryl Sandberg and Facebook are actually in it together, mm-hmm. and that's what mm-hmm. has to happen in any organisation for any C-suite to actually stand out, uh, be seen, be heard, and most importantly, future-proof their career. Most
0: importantly. Absolutely. And I also think that, and I've, you know, been at both ends of the, so again, my, my, in my previous life, um, our chief exec, um, he was actually more prevalent on Twitter than he was on um, uh, on LinkedIn, but we knew, we knew it was him. It was him doing it. It wasn't someone doing it on on behalf of him. And what that's enabled him to do was be able to talk to the organization so not only is it yes i completely agree with what you're saying around you know the reputation of the organization they are the chief exec of but it actually enabled him to get closer to the employees um yeah. because there'll be people in there and you know it's, it's a 50,000 employee organization um who will never ever ever get the chance to meet him ever absolutely but the beauty with actually having a presence on uh, online and again, the pl- social media platform is irrelevant, in my view. It's b- be where your audience, uh, your audience is, uh, is that you can then start to connect with the employee. The employee can start to buy into the vision that you are trying to create. They can then see that you, as the leader, are leading from the front on this. You know, we're talking about climate change, massive at the moment. Microsoft stole the march on that with their mm-hmm. commitment to going carbon negative by. Yep. Uh, by by 2020 and um, 2030 rather, and then you see everyone else kind of scrabbling around, going, "Shit, we need to start yeah. you know, talk, uh, uh, talking, um, talking about this." And I think it's it's as much what you said is, you know, future-proofing your your career, giving them that that voice. But it's also, you know, what the berman Looney piece was talking to is the fact that he can now connect with, you know, this multi-billion-dollar organization. Um, internally
1: well the thing is that um, the CEO of Microsoft uh, Satya uh, Nadella he does a great job Mm. of using uh, social media as you rightly said to actually engage his employees and I don't know if you've seen um, his videos on LinkedIn Alex but he actually sits in his office and talks to his employees they just have a conversation around topics now I, I can't tell you how much I love those videos. It's just I don't work for Microsoft, but I feel I, I, I have so much respect for him because of those videos. Yeah. So what is yeah. he actually doing? He's actually creating brand ambassadors outside of uh, Microsoft. Mm-hmm. And that's a very, very clever way of building your personal brand. So I think that that he's... That, um, approach to personal branding and engaging his employees to actually have a real-life conversations around real-life pain points that are 100% relatable, that, that equals the outcome of those type of uh, uh, videos is building brand ambassadors beyond Microsoft. That's what we're talking about here.
0: Yeah, that's that's really that, that's a really good point, actually. I hadn't actually thought about that because what people like, well, you and I don't work for Microsoft. But we're talking about Microsoft, right? And it's that's like, right. have, you, have you seen the video of that chief exec talking about this? How cool is that? Wouldn't it be that yeah. great organization to work at? Perspective yeah. clients see it, existing clients see it. Yeah, that's a really neat way to, to look at one of the byproducts of this is do something Jeez. for the internal audience, but actually – talk about that publicly and then, hey, presto, we're, we're a prime example of it working.
1: <laughs> we're doing it right now. But the other thing, can I just add to that, and that is this, that when a C, when an organisation realises the power of um, my approach of to personal branding in a corporation is that customer facing executives should all be uh, positioned as personal brands and the company should be investing in that because the return on investment is really really huge the first thing is that it creates a new PR narrative so the narrative now is no longer you know us and them the narrative now is is about thought leadership it's actually showing that the organization is doing something different that's the first thing the second thing is it actually is not a push strategy it's a pull strategy Mm -hmm. you're attracting the right talent Because people in the outside world are suddenly now seeing the CEO of Microsoft talking to his employees, and what do you think people are saying? I want to be that person. I want to be that person sitting in Satya's office. That's me. Mm -hmm. That's the second thing. Uh, The third thing is it's actually proven that uh, there was a research actually done on this, and that the sales, uh, the people that were that were uh, allowed to utilize social media to build their brand and talk about product, uh, the, the, the 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 company's products and services, uh, especially using LinkedIn, that their sales were 72% higher than those that didn't do it. Mm-hmm. So that, that's the other thing. And I think that we just need to look at these key moving parts because ultimately, isn't that what an organisation is made up of? Um, so there's all this amazing um, positive, positive. Uh, and it, yes, it does require a commitment. Yes, it does require an investment. But 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 Alex, the way that I see this is that if your organization for example has a company profile on linkedin and you have 500,000 followers i did this for a client the other day we wanted to do a comparison and i we and i found the company that we were wanting to talk about the company had 525,000 followers but it had 50,000 employees who had a linkedin profile so i said now what about if if every one of those employees had 100 connections, that's now 5 million followers, not (laughs) 500,000 followers. That is massive reach. You would agree with that, right? That's That's just to me, marketing 101.
0: Yeah, I use the same metrics when, you know, talking to, to, to our clients. And actually, if you have Sales Navigator, um, as an organization go into the admin function and they'll actually tell you so we we'll have to go and do some training for a company um uh, after this where sales navigator actually tells you how many unique connections those on the sales navigator or team link have so you can say within this network on sales navigator alone you have a hundred thousand unique people that you could go and talk to which is nuts Amazing. Right? Um, yeah. and that i think you know before we you know, close this off because I'm, I'm conscious that it's late you're in and I could talk to you for forever. I just want to, you know, two <laughs> points. We've been talking about the CEO of Microsoft and some of our listeners were going, well, that's the CEO of Microsoft. But ultimately, it doesn't matter. Anybody can do this, mm-hmm. no matter whether you're a CEO of a SME or a, or a, you know, a traditional kind of B2B organization. If you engage with social in a meaningful way with, you know, everything that you've touched on, everybody can get out there and have a voice, right? Mm-hmm. Perfect.
1: Absolutely. Well, the other thing is that it's not just about, but, but Alex, yes, everyone can have a voice, but the point being is that it has to be strategic and deliberate. It It can't just be a voice, you know, because how many times do we see, and this is where I think it gets clouded, where a lot of people are, you know, promoting the notion that just get on, on, on LinkedIn and just tell your story and be authentic. And then you'll, you know, and then they'll come to you. And I'm completely against that. I'm saying, hey, if you are serious about building your brand as a specialist, as the go to specialist in your niche or your industry, you have to be strategic and deliberate. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to, then there's a two way approach. And, you know, you understand this better than anyone. You know, when you social sell on LinkedIn, you've got the back end approach, which is the social selling. Who am I connecting with? Why am I connecting with them? And what, how does the conversation start with that person? other side is what content do I want to show that person so to me that's strategic and deliberate so why would I Alex waste an opportunity and actually post my children or my dog and cat doing somersault it's (laughs) of no value to my audience I'm not interested so that's where your voice needs to be heard based on being strategic and deliberate because you're delivering content to the people that you're connecting with exclusively. That's it.
0: Boom. What a way mm-hmm. to end. I could talk to you forever, Mary. Um, I'm in awe of your passion. I'm in awe of your, um, your journey. It's always a pleasure, um, you know, seeing your content pop, pop up on my feed. Uh, I can't thank you enough because I appreciate it is late in the evening for you over in uh, in Oz for taking time out um, for my listeners and and for me. Where can people find you? How can people connect with you? Where are you?
1: Well, of course, LinkedIn, Mary Henderson Coaching. Just look for the pink circle in my photo and that's me um, or my website, MaryHendersonCoaching.com or just email me, Mary at MaryHendersonCoaching.com.
0: Awesome. I'll put all those links into the, um, uh, the, the podcast, but uh, as ever to all my listeners, thank you very much for uh, tuning in. I uh, hope you found that useful and insightful as ever. If you want to be on this, let me know. If you think there's somebody I should interview on this, uh, let me know, but uh, enjoy uh, whatever it is you are doing, wherever you are in the world and until next time.